we are into Galatians chapter 4. And tonight's message is called Abba Father. Galatians 3.29 up to 4.7. 3.29 says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. But not by birth. Many of us are not blood descendants of Abraham, right? We are not Jewish descendants of Abraham. But we are adopted into that family through Christ. And Abraham is the one that the promise is given to, to bless the entire world, that he would make a great nation out of them. He promised them a savior and a land and that they would have descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky. So we are those descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky because we're adopted through Jesus. Make sense? Or one. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Child heir and child slave are no different. Though the heir is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, what Paul is saying here is he is saying sometimes, even if you are an heir, right? You know what an heir is? Like somebody who is the recipient of some kind of, um, you know, estate or promise, or something like this, or money that's coming from the parents. If you are an heir, then you are the recipient of that. And what Paul is saying is that even when you are an heir, sometimes it feels like you are a slave, right? Sometimes being an heir doesn't feel all high and mighty like you think it should. In fact, sometimes it feels like slavery. But here's the difference between being an heir and being a slave. When you're an heir, you own everything that is coming to you. You just haven't received it in full. It's yours, but it's not all yours quite yet. So you're kind of like a slave in the idea that you have to still live without that inheritance that's coming to you. Right, So a child heir and a child slave are kind of on the same level. So an heir might feel like a slave, but the thing is that they own everything that is coming to them. And I was saying, this is the state that you guys are in. right? But at the fullness of time, God sent Jesus 
And Jesus became sin for us, died on the cross for us, brought to us salvation, set us free from being slaves, and made us heirs. Got this? Oh, where is all this going? Why do we have to feel like slaves when we're heirs? This doesn't make sense. I want out of this deal, right? And he says, well, think about this. We've got a slave child. And a slave child is enslaved to whatever the master says to do. And a slave child kind of has like a guardian over him um, telling him how he is to live. Right? And an heir child, although they are the heir to an inheritance, as a child, you're not quite ready to receive that inheritance and to receive the fullness of it. So... You have a guardian, you have parents, you might have somebody who works for your family, like keeping an eye over you, making sure that you're going along with the program, because if as a child you were to receive your inheritances in full, right, you would probably spend it like a child, which means like lots of cookies, lots of movies, lots of things that don't really last, right? Like you're not going to spend your money wisely because you haven't learned yet. And what it's saying is that you have to first learn stuff like as if you are a slave. In the same way that Hebrews tells us that Jesus had to learn obedience. Think about that. God, in human flesh, had to learn obedience. I wonder what that was like, what the lessons felt like. You know, what it felt like for him as the God of the universe and apparently above, over and above all things and all laws, the creator of the law itself and the speaker of God's very word in his scriptures. How would it feel for him to submit himself under the law, to become obedient to the law and to men who are in authority and political authorities, right, and things like this. How would it feel for God to become obedient, right? And now if Jesus has to learn obedience, why would we think that as humans, lesser than God, we could get away with not having to learn obedience ourselves? Right? The implication then is that obedience is a learned thing, and it doesn't just come naturally. What comes naturally is rebellion. Right? We're born into sin. We're born into this sinful flesh. We're born into a corrupt world. It is not difficult for us to learn rebellion. It comes automatically. It is difficult, however, for us to learn obedience. Right? You don't have to teach a two-year-old how to not share. He knows how to not share. He goes, mine! Right? <laughs> He's like those like seagulls on Finding Nemo, and they're like, mine, 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 mine. Right? You don't have to teach anybody how to think selfishly. You don't have to teach anybody how to say mine. That comes naturally. What you have to learn in preschool or kindergarten or any of these things is they teach you sharing because... Sharing is unnatural. Obedience feels unnatural. Rebellion 
is what comes naturally and like instinctually. So if Jesus had to learn obedience, don't you think that we have to learn obedience? And the way that we learn obedience is that God gave this law that he gave for a time in order for us to know what obedience was. So this law was kind of like training wheels into the promised inheritance. Does that make sense? So we had to have this for a while in order to get us to a point where we could be ready to receive the inheritance to a point where we're no longer an heir child who feels like a slave, but we're just an heir. And we've received the inheritance, right? And when Paul is writing this, we got to understand that like the people that he's writing to, they're struggling with this, right? They're struggling with this idea. And he keeps calling them, like in the previous chapter, he says two times, like, you foolish Galatians, right? Don't you know anything? And you're like, wow, Paul, kind of harsh, right? And why is, why is he calling them out? Why is he calling them foolish? Like, what, what is it that they're doing or saying or being or not doing that would call them to, cause them to call them foolish? Well, I think they've been given over to leaven. Leaven, what's that? Leaven is like yeast, right? You put it in bread and it makes the bread rise. But if you let it go too far and you don't uh, take the bread and bake it right away, then the, the leaven can spread and a little leaven can spread through a whole lump and you can ruin stuff by letting the leaven go wild, so to speak. In leaven, I'm gonna call fleshly foolishness. Cool. Well, what is all this about? And I'm reminded of Mark chapter 8, right? Where he, where he, Jesus, tells his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, okay? Now, here's what Jesus had just done. He had just fed 5,000, 5,000 people, right? And then you read a little bit further. It's like deja vu all over again. He feeds 4,000. Real close together. And the disciples should be seeing this feeding of the 4,000 out on the heels of having the feeding of the 5,000 and go, yeah, I know how this goes. Right? He did this before. He used us before to take stuff that we didn't have and he miraculously multiplied it in our presence and used us to feed thousands of people with very little. And then the Pharisees come on the scene, right, right after this. And they're demanding a sign from heaven of Jesus. And Jesus kind of like doesn't give it to them. Jesus doesn't operate on command. See, Pharisees are wrapped around this mindset that Jesus is here to make my will happen on earth. Jesus is here to get what I want to do accomplished in this world. And he is at my beck and call so that I can run up to him and tell him exactly what I need done right now, pronto. Right? Pharisees demand a sign from heaven, and Jesus says, no. Because a sign from heaven is not for the sake of the sign. The sign from heaven is to make you believe in God. And even if you saw that sign from heaven, you wouldn't believe in God, so there's no point in giving you a sign. 
right? Well, right on the heels of this interaction with the Pharisees, the disciples have one loaf of bread. And Jesus wants to feed people again, right? He's already fed 5,000. He's already fed 4,000. And he wants to feed people again. And the disciples, in true disciple fashion, go, hey, but we only got one loaf, so we're not going to be able to do it, okay? And Jesus is like, don't you get it? We've gone through this drill before. Shouldn't you know this by now? Shouldn't you know how this works, how this goes? We've already gone over this, right? 5,000, remember? How many baskets did you pick up? And they were like, 12, right? That's like a symbolic number because of 12 disciples and 12 tribes of Israel and all this stuff. And then they feed 4,000, right? He's like, how many, how many baskets did you pick up afterwards? And they're like, seven, right? All right, so, so the disciples, you should be understanding by now, they're a little bit thick, right? It ta- takes some, some, mm, some extra push to get something into that brain, right? If you ever want to feel good about yourself, go read about the disciples in the Gospels and you'll feel better, right? And as they're looking at this one loaf, after having fed thousands with very little and had leftovers to spare. They're doing it again, right? And Jesus is like, I want to feed people. They're like, but we only have one loaf. And he's like, do you know who you're talking to? Right? And he says to them in response to this, in response to their response, you only got one loaf. He says... Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Right? And what is the leaven of the Pharisees? I think the the leaven of the Pharisees is unbelief. You see the works of God and you don't believe God. Right? God is at work in your midst and you don't believe in God at work in your midst. You, You believe that you accomplished this work on your own. Right? And that's kind of what the Galatians are doing. They started out in the spirit and they're trying to perfect it in the flesh. Does that make sense? Now let me distinguish between doubt and unbelief. All right? Doubt, I think, is okay. Right? Doubt is okay because doubt is seeking truth. It is okay if you're seeking truth and you stumble upon circumstances to, that don't fit in and you like, you doubt, but honestly, but you're seeking truth and you're seeking God and you're, you're just sitting here like, God, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't line up your, with your plan. Like, God, where are you? I think that's doubt, right? Doubt is okay and you can work through that. Unbelief is different than doubt. Unbelief is like, not seeking the truth. Unbelief is seeing the works of God and thinking that you came up with that on your own. Anything that we come up with on our own, like it first belongs to God because he created us who are able to do things, right? So unbelief is taking credit for things that that you did not do or that do not belong to you. Unbelief is seeing the works of God and not believing God. Unbelief 
is beyond doubt because doubt is seeking the truth. And when you find God, you get you know, like your doubts are gone, right? But unbelief encounters God and says, no. Right? So the leaven of the Pharisees is not just doubt, it's unbelief. Right? And he's warning his disciples not to fall into unbelief when this should be ringing all kinds of bells. We fed 5,000, we fed 4,000, and now we have only loaf, only one loaf. So you should be going, yeah, I don't got much, but God, you're able. Right? And he asks of them in this part of Mark 8, he goes, do you have eyes and not see? Or do you have ears and not hear? Are you ever perceiving but never understanding? I'll put it this way. Don't you get it? When you look around you and you see things taking place and you see the world itself just functioning as it functions, when you see creation, don't you get it? Could you have done that? No, when you look and you see the handiwork of God, what you should go in your mind is, oh, God, right? Wow, God. And he was warning his disciples, don't fall into unbelief. Don't fall into thinking that because you have one loaf, now you're in charge of making one loaf feed thousands. If God showed up before, he'll show up again. If he fed 5,000 through you, and he fed 4,000 through you, if he wants to feed people again through you, he'll do it. Not because of you, but because you were just there willing and able and being like, God, use me. Got this. Right? Or you got this. So don't you get it? And I feel like that's kind of what Paul is asking the Galatian church. Don't you get it? You foolish Galatians, don't you get it by now? You started out this salvation work in your life. It was not from you. It was from the Spirit of God in you. That's a work of God. That is a miracle in your life, the salvation of God. And have you looked at God's handiwork and taking it into your own hands and saying, what God has started, I will finish, right? Do you hear the foolishness? Do you hear the leaven of the Pharisees in that? They're not getting it. Just like at that moment in time, the disciples were not getting it. But it's okay. Take heart. Because if you come to that point in your life, where you've turned the salvation of God, done by the Spirit of God at work inside you, both to will and to do His good pleasure, if you've taken that into your own hands and thought it was your own doing and thought that you could continue this work started in the Spirit, in the flesh, take heart because He's a forgiving God. 
And because although the disciples faltered in that moment, he continued to use them and to be patient with them and to work with them and to love them and to entrust things to them. Right? These thick-headed disciples who are always arguing about who's the greatest, like, I'm better than you. Who's better than me and you? Who's going to sit at his right hand? Who's going to sit at his left hand? They're always arguing about things that don't matter. God, should we call down fire from heaven? Jesus is like, shush. No. That wasn't my plan. If he can use them, he can use us. If he can entrust great things to them, he can entrust things to us. And isn't it a great feeling when somebody trusts you? Right? It makes you want to trust them back, right? It makes you want to not let them down, right? It makes you want to like, Step up to the plate because they're assuming good things about you. You are capable. You are able. I'm entrusting you. And you're like, man, they believe in me. I think I can do this. <laughs> I remember one time, my little bro, when he was much littler than he is today, I don't remember how old he was. Maybe he was like 12, right? And he's, he's a basketball guy. And he needed some air in his basketball so that he could go practice. And we had a pump, but it was a pump that was kind of like an electric one that you had to plug into a, like a car uh, cigarette lighter thing. And in order to use it, like the car had to be turned, the accessories had to be turned on. And that had to be plugged in. And then you could, like, pump up a ball or a bike tire or whatever you need to pump up. Right? So he came up to me, and I was in the middle of doing something. And he said, can you help me use your car to pump up my ball? And I was in the middle of something. And I said, okay, here, you do it. And I gave him the keys to my car. Right? I entrusted him. Is okay? <laughs> yes. I entrusted him with something, and I don't think he was used to receiving that kind of trust, right? Because, I mean, little kids are used to being told, like, you're just a little kid, what can you do, right? I'm not going to trust you with anything because you're just going to mess it up, so why would I? Right? You know that feeling? And if that's what you're constantly told, I don't trust you, you'll live up to the untrustworthiness. Right? But I gave my little brother the keys. It is okay. I don't own it any longer, but it's okay. He went and he used the pump, and nothing happened. Only good things happened. The ball received air. That was good, right? Positive. But it was like I gave him trust. This is a symbol of my trust, handing you the keys, right? And he went and pumped up his basketball, and he did not want to let me down because I gave him trust. Right? And now 
God is giving us that kind of trust. God doesn't look at us and say, you are not capable, you are not able, I'm not going to trust you with anything. You have to earn it. Right? That's a lie of the enemy, that you have to earn it. God says, I'm going to entrust you with things you don't feel capable of handling. Right? And if God trusts us, he must think pretty highly of us, right? So don't you get it? Get past the leaven of the Pharisees. Move past these things. Move from doubt into trust. Move from looking at these circumstances in life and saying, I'm not capable. Hold up. You don't have to be capable. God is capable through you. Move from doubt to trust. Don't look at what you can't do. Look at what God can do. Move from doubt to trust. And also, move from entitlement to gratitude. You ever meet somebody with like an entitled attitude? You don't like it, right? You like feeling entitled. I like feeling entitled, right? What does entitled mean? Entitled. <laughs> like, you feel like you deserve stuff. Respect. Right? You should be able to have whatever you want. Yeah, you should be able to have whatever you want. You, you deserve everybody to be at your beck and call, to serve you, to drop what they're doing to make your will happen type of thing. Entitled. And we live in a place where a lot of us, especially young people, super entitled. Right? We feel like we're owed the world on a silver platter. And all I have to do is kick my feet up in my lazy boy and it's going to be delivered to me at my front door. Right? Everybody likes feeling entitled because you would like to kick your feet up and have everybody be at your beck and call. Everybody likes feeling entitled because it's comfortable. You like feeling entitled, but you don't like when other people feel entitled around you. Does that make sense? If you're around people with the entitled attitude and they feel like you need to drop what you're doing to serve them, right? You get all indignant. I'm not doing that, right? You entitled person, you with a bad attitude, you need to grow up, get, right? Nobody likes being around the entitled person. So instead of entitlement, move from entitlement to gratitude, right? We are given an inheritance, and we own everything with Jesus. He has given us everything. And if that's the case... And if we're like heirs right now, but kind of feeling like slaves, 
if we have to learn obedience, move from entitlement to gratitude. Gratitude is like thankfulness. Gratitude says, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this whole Jesus giving me life. I don't deserve like God dying for me. I don't, I don't deserve this. And when you move from entitlement to gratitude, obedience comes naturally. Hard work and a good work ethic comes naturally. Doing the right thing comes naturally because you don't feel owed everything. You're grateful for what you have and what God has given you to the point of giving himself, gosh, <laughs> right? Gratitude recognizes I am not entitled and I can't earn and there's nothing I could do to make God love me more or less. So all I'm going to do is simply be thankful and just receive what he wants to give me and the love he wants to shower upon me even though it makes no sense at all. Because when people start believing in the leaven of the Pharisees and that they make the works of God happen with their hands, they start arguing about who's better. They start arguing about who's more right. Right? Who's the greatest? Who deserves a better seat? at the banquet table in heaven. And Paul's reminding us, listen, you're just lucky to be there. I'm just lucky to be there. And that should change our heart, and that should change our attitude, and that should change our perspective, and that should change just the way that we live and conduct ourselves. And move us Past this arrogant sense of superiority, and we go, What? I'm receiving an inheritance? Are you kidding me? God, you're gonna give me what? The keys to your car? Right? He's given us an inheritance and he's entrusting us with things. And he's entrusting us with things during this life. What has he entrusted you with? What has he entrusted me with? Take care of that. Don't let God down with what he's entrusted to you. And he's entrusted above everything that we might see with our eyes. He put something crazy inside of us. He put the spirit of Jesus in our hearts. 
like, I trust you with that. Do something with that. Don't mess that up. Don't start living like it's all up to you and your flesh. It never was and it never will be. This isn't something you can earn. He put the spirit of his son inside our hearts. And that's the down payment of the future glory. This crazy inheritance that doesn't even compare to our present sufferings. So when we groan because life is life, Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And Paul says, this present suffering is not going to compare with that future glory. And you know how that's real? You know how when it doesn't feel like it, you can be reassured that that's going to come to pass because the Spirit of God is in your heart. And that's a reminder every day that God chose you and that he won't let you down. He will not let go of you. Why would he put his spirit in your heart to let go of you and say, nah, I don't want to finish this. Right? And that spirit of God in our heart cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. There's like intimacy. There's like familiarity. There's like, we can relate with him. There's like, I don't have to come to God scared. I can come to him knowing that he is my father and he wants more for me than I want for myself. That he might correct me a little bit, but it's for my own good. It's Abba Father. Right? I can't get over that. Because of what God has done for us, not what we do for God, what he has done for us because of that for the rest of forever, we get to call him our dad. And he's got a glorious inheritance for us. And it's yours. The glorious inheritance is yours. Stop being smug about it. Right? Stop being entitled. Stop having a bad attitude. It's yours. It's not going to go anywhere. It's in under the protection of God's wing. It's not like it's leaving. Just be thankful. Be good to people. Love people. Treat them well. You don't have to treat them poorly to manipulate them or get something out of them. Because there's a glorious inheritance that's yours. If you try to manipulate somebody to get something out of them, whether it's attention or money or, you know, accolades like they, they sing your praises. If you, that's it. That's all you're getting. You've received your reward in full if that's what you're going for. 
Instead, Paul says, listen to that spirit in your heart that's crying out, Abba, Father. That spirit in your heart wants Jesus. It wants God the Father. And are we succumbing to doubt and unbelief and the leaven of the Pharisees and foolishness and hard-heartedness and thinking, I'll do it myself, right? <laughs> the Father has given himself to you. He's put his spirit inside of you that's calling out to him, and he's calling back. He wants you, and just rest in that. Right? You don't, you're not going to add anything to your glorious inheritance. If you worry more, you're not going to make your glorious inheritance any greater. If you lie, cheat, and steal more to get ahead, you're not going to add anything to your glorious inheritance. Right? If you don't forgive somebody so that you can hold their wrongdoings against them, so that you can be morally superior, you're not going to add one thing to your glorious inheritance. Spirit of God inside us crying out, Abba, Father. That's what it's all about. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for putting the spirit of your son in our hearts, that it cries out, Abba, Father. And God, we relinquish our control. And God, we submit ourselves to you. And God, we just want you we're crying out Abba Father so move us from doubt to trust and move us from entitlement to gratitude move us from the flesh to the spirit move us from a life that accomplishes everything in my own might to a life that accomplishes things only if they're through your spirit God, if there's anything that we want for our lives that you don't want for us, <laughs> we just changed our mind. We don't want it. God, if there's anything that you want for us that we don't want, just change our minds again. We want it. So God, work within us through your spirit both to will and to do your good pleasure. God, change our lives from the inside out, not by any works that we could do with our hands, but God, your spirit at work inside of our hearts. Transform us, make us new, make us into the image of Jesus. In your name, amen.